amazing. Well, you guys can grab a seat. Thank you, David. That's amazing just to hear that in Japanese. By the way, uh, Japan is uh, the Japanese people. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, David. The Japanese people, are they the second largest unreached people group on earth? So just to put that into context, the, the Japanese people, uh, obviously the island of Japan, they have, um, how many people, do you know how many people live in Japan? 125 million people in Japan uh, have, are considered an unreached people group, which means that less than 2% of their population actually knows Jesus or knows the good news um, or has even probably heard the gospel ever preached. It's unbelievable. So um, really beautiful to hear it read in Japanese. The prayer is like, would that be read a million times in Japan, like in the years to come? So uh, that just gets me so excited. So thank you, David. Uh, welcome, friends. If, if we haven't met, my name's Brett. I work here at the church. And uh, if you are new here, this is your first time, I just want to say thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part of our church family today. It's awesome to have you. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13 today. I'm continuing us in our series through the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love to invite you to open to Luke chapter 13. You can follow along with me. If you don't have your Bible, your phone will work just fine. So uh, if you'd pull it out, just follow along with me and, and see if, if what I'm teaching is actually from God's word. So as you're turning to Luke 13, uh, if you knew that you only had 24 hours left to live, how would you spend those 24 hours? So if you knew that the amount of time that you had left on earth was short, how would you use that short amount of time? Uh, maybe you would... Uh, gather together with friends, family, loved ones, and just soak up every second. Maybe you would eat your favorite foods or like do something that you've always wanted to do but never got the chance. Here's one thing I'm willing to bet that every single one of us in this room would do. Whether you're here and you've been like walking with Jesus for many, many years or you're here just to check things out, I'm willing to bet that you would spend a good portion of your time talking to God. Like, whatever it is you've got to get settled in your heart with Jesus, you would be taking time in, those, in that short amount of time you had left to settle things up. And here's what's scary. None of us know how much time we have left. Like, very few of us will know with absolute certainty the moment or the time or the day that we will pass from this life. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear this morning. Don't wait to get right with God. Uh, my friend shared a picture of a bumper sticker like a couple weeks ago with me, and it said this. It said, many who plan to seek God at the 11th hour die at 1030. Don't delay in coming to Jesus, and don't be deceived thinking that you have more time than you do or that you're right with God because you've come to church a few times because you said a prayer one time because you've heard a few sermons online or that just because you believe Jesus is real and you've generally done, you feel, more good things than bad things in your life. None of those things have the ability to make you right with God. And if you leave this morning and you take away just one thing from what I say, one thing from this passage that you remember, remember this, the door is closing. So don't delay and don't be deceived. The door is closing so don't delay and don't be deceived. And today I'm going to show us three things from our passage. And they're going to go, we're going to walk through each one, but this is the order. One door, 
two destinations and four directions. One door, two destinations, four directions. So let's jump into our first chunk of scripture. Uh, Chapter 13, starting in verse 22 and going through the first part of verse 24. He, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So we'll pause here. We see Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem. He has a set, his face set towards Jerusalem where he knows he's going to offer up his life on the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. And he's stopping in these really tiny, small, like we think of like Nebraska, like a small town is maybe what, a thousand people? That we're talking like small, small, like a hundred people at a time in this villages that he's stopping at. Jewish uh, people he's teaching, he's sharing with. Continuing on in verse 23, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. So we see our first point for today, one door, one door. Isn't it interesting how Jesus answers the question that's posed to him in this passage? Like, this is a yes or no question. Jesus Will those who are saved be few? Yes or no? And if I was asking the question, I'd be a little bit frustrated with Jesus. Like, dude, this is a simple answer. Seems like you're not giving me, you're not shooting me straight here. He says, look at it with me, the first part of 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. So why does Jesus answer in this way? Why give an imperative command like strive, strive to enter through the narrow door rather than a simple yes or no? Here's why I think Jesus answers in this way. I think he answers this way because the question asked implies something. The question asked implies that it's difficult to be saved. The question is, Jesus, will those who are saved be few? In other words, the question is asked, is eternal life reserved for a select few? Is there a small table in your kingdom with a reserved label set on it where only a special few are able to access it, one with special invites? And Jesus' answer reframes the question. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door, Jesus responds by saying, it's not necessarily the amount of people who will be saved that are few. It's the point of entry that's few. In fact, the point of entry is one single, solitary door. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Similarly, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, through Jesus alone. So friends, hear this truth. Christianity is incredibly exclusive. 
But it isn't exclusive because only a few people are allowed entry. It's exclusive because there's only one point of entry. Only Jesus can save. It's exclusive because only one person, Jesus alone, is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus tells us that there is no other way to be saved. Friends, this means that the teachings of the prophet Muhammad can't save you. The teachings of Buddha can't save you. Seeking to align your chakras and using healing crystals and trying to reach a higher spiritual plane can't save you. Being a good, moral, loving person, as wonderful as that is, can't save you. Devoting your life to a worthy cause, as wonderful and as needed as that is, can't save you. Simply believing in God and being a good, moral person can't save you. Being a churchgoer can't save you. Growing up in a Christian family and being baptized can't save you. Knowing your Bible super well and being an awesome theologian, perfect theology, can't save you. But there is a person who can save you. And one person alone. Jesus. And here's the good news. Jesus came to earth. He lived the perfectly good, moral, and righteous life that you should have lived but failed to do because of your wrongdoing, because of your sin. And he thought of you when he went to the cross. He took your sin, the penalty that you deserve, the wrath from the Father for your sin that you deserve. He paid for it in full. So that now by simply coming to Jesus, by trusting in him, in his sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your sin past present, and future. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, my invitation to you is to turn away from whatever it is that you've been looking to save you. Whatever it is that you've kind of placed on the throne of your heart, would you cast it away and instead invite Jesus onto the throne? Would you toss Turn aside whatever you've been trusting. Put it behind you in the life that you've been living and instead trust in Jesus alone and submit to him as your savior. You see, Christianity is the most exclusive religion because it says that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And this exclusivity is one of our culture's biggest critiques, biggest objections The critique goes like this. How could Christians be so unwelcoming and so dismissive of other religions or other pathways to God? But friends, here's what they're missing in their critique. Christianity is also the most inclusive religion because it says that absolutely anyone and everyone, regardless of age, gender, Race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, historical background can come to Jesus and be saved. Like when Jesus says it's 100% a free gift, 
he legitimately really means. It's 100% a free gift. Like it's not 99.99% a free gift and 0.01% what we've done. It's 100% a free gift given to us and accomplished for us by Jesus. Here's the thing. If it relies on us, even 0.01%, I don't know about you, but this is true for me, like, there's a chance we can screw it up, and that's scary. Like, even if it's just a small chance, there's still a chance that we can blow it or that we don't meet the criteria for what it takes to be saved. And the good news is that all it takes to be saved is to recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and to come to Jesus. For those who've trusted in him, I want to remind you this morning, I want to encourage you this morning to take a deep breath, a sigh of relief, that salvation is 100% a gift. You don't have to earn it. You can never deserve it. So today, in a fresh way, would you open up your hands to receive again the truth that it is a free gift. I think where our culture has gotten it right, maybe, whereas Christians, we need to learn from their critique, is that we often forget, I think, and we display to the world around us that the gift isn't really free. If we believe, even for a second, that salvation relies 0.01% on us, it leads to pride. It leads us to portray that somehow, even in a small way, we've earned it or we deserve it. And so we see the world around us as outsiders, like somehow they're the ones who just can't get their act together like, like me and come to Jesus. And friends, Christians should be the most incredibly humble and merciful and understanding people on planet Earth. The only thing we bring to the table in our salvation is our sin. We're just as broken and as needy as the rest of the world, but the difference is that we know the healer. We are just beggars, pointing other beggars to where they can get bread. The critique that the outside world has leveled at us at its root, actually, I think, isn't that we're unwelcoming. It isn't at its root that we're dismissive of other, of other beliefs or systems or ways of thinking you can get to God. It's not that. I think really what they've leveled to us at its root is pride. And I'm afraid that their critique far too often is completely warranted. But may it never be true for you and me would the fact that salvation is 100% a free gift lead us to be the most merciful, humble, inviting people on planet Earth? It's completely free. It's a gift offered to all people. All it takes is to come to Jesus. But isn't it interesting? Jesus tells us in our passage, look at verse 24 with me. He says, to strive to enter through the narrow door, to strive to come to him alone, to be saved. The original Greek word in the original language that's used for strive means to labor or to agonize like an athlete, 
And you might be thinking to yourself right now, like, wait, Brett, hold on. You literally just said that salvation is a free gift. You literally said all it takes to be forgiven of our sin and saved is to turn from whatever we believed would save us and instead believe and trust in Jesus alone. Like, why now are you saying, why is Jesus saying to strive? And here's what I think Jesus is getting at when he tells us to strive to enter the narrow door. I think he's saying that it's not a gentle wandering through the woods of life that's going to eventually lead us to the door of eternal life. It's not meandering through life and seeing where the next stage or the next season takes us and hoping that in the end we end up saved. It takes a concerted, steadfast, self-emptying reliance on Jesus. We have to renounce everything else. We can't be one foot in through the door and one foot out. We must truly trust in Jesus alone. We have to actually enter the door, not just recognize its location. Friends, you won't enter eternal life by accident. You won't pass from this life and into heaven without plainly and truly trusting Jesus to save you and forsaking everything else. There is only one door, and we must enter through it to be saved. Jesus, and Jesus is the only one able to save us to eternal life. And next we'll see that there are only two destinations that we can possibly spend eternity. We will inhabit either one or the other when our lives end without any second chance to change the outcome, to change our eternal destination. Jesus continues on in the second half of verse 24. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. So the second point we see today is two destinations. Two destinations. Jesus uses a story here to explain what he means by saying many will seek to enter, but few will be able. He likens himself to being like a master of a house. This master has left the door wide open. He's throwing a feast. He's left the door wide open for anyone to enter. The assumption is that invitations have gone out to the town. Everybody knows that that the master is having this feast. While the door is open, no one's rejected. No one's barred from entry. But there comes a day when, unannounced, the master closes the door. Entry into the presence of the master and his feast doesn't last forever. And many who would have liked to have entered find themselves outside when the door closes, 
with no second chance to re-enter, to go in. And they're shocked. They cry out to the master from outside, hey, hey, remember us? We knew you. We hung out with you. You taught in our streets. I, even, I remember what you said. Let us in. And the master replies, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me. You see, the master makes it clear. He says, you may know who I am, but I don't know who you are. You say you know me, but only from a distance. You've never actually come in close and known me. See, friends, there's a difference between head-level knowledge and heart-level relationship. There's a difference between religion, knowing things about God, and relationship, actually knowing Jesus as a Savior and as a friend. Jesus isn't looking for people who just know who he is. He's looking for people who worship him for who he is. He's not looking for people who said a prayer one time to get right with him. He's looking for people who surrendered their lives to follow him. He's not looking for church attenders. He's looking for Christ followers. And Jesus draws out two destinations that people find themselves. Insiders to the eternal kingdom of God in heaven or outsiders. Doomed to spend eternity in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is, a, is imagery used regularly throughout the scriptures to describe hell. Friends, make no mistake, heaven and hell are real places. And every person on this planet will spend eternity in one or the other. This can be such a difficult subject to talk about, but Jesus doesn't shy away from it. In fact, he, he talks about it often throughout the scriptures. And his reason for talking about the reality of heaven and hell is because he deeply, deeply loves people. His desire is for them to not be caught outside when the door closes. To come to him, to be saved. And we see this reality throughout the scriptures Ezekiel 33, 11 says, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, Jesus longs for everyone and anyone to enter through the narrow door and trust him and him alone to be forgiven of their sin and saved. He longs for all people to enjoy the kingdom of God in heaven with him forever. But for those who haven't entered through the narrow door, who won't trust in Jesus for forgiveness, they will experience the terrible reality of hell for the rest of eternity. And it's a terrible reality that breaks God's heart. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, it's a reality that breaks God's heart, and it should break our hearts too.
I know how weighty this truth can be. Maybe right now you're thinking, you're mourning the loss of someone who you loved, who died, who passed on without knowing and trusting Jesus. I want you to know that it's right, it's okay to know in your head that God is good and wise and just and at the same time to bring your pain, your anger, your hurt, your disappointment to him. It's okay to ask him hard questions, to wrestle with him in the midst of it, knowing that what breaks your heart breaks God's heart as well. I don't want to try to offer cheap suggestions or answers to the complex reality of heaven and hell, but I do want to take what Jesus says in our passage, and I want to try to draw out for us two takeaways, two applications in light of the reality of heaven and hell. So the first takeaway we learn in light of what Jesus teaches about heaven and hell is to not delay. Don't delay. Remember that the door is closing. There will come a time for every person when it is too late to turn to Jesus. If Jesus is the only way to be saved, let's not waste our time while the door is still open. If Jesus is the only way to be saved, let's share the good news about Jesus with people in our lives who haven't met him yet. Let's refuse to be a church family. Let's refuse to be a church family who comes and has a good time on Sunday and leaves and never does anything else. The door is open to absolutely anyone and everyone who will trust and submit to Jesus. Let's share the good news while there's still time. Don't delay. Enter through the narrow door and bring as many people with you as possible when you go. Don't delay. The second takeaway is to not be deceived. You see, one of the scary parts about the story that Jesus tells in our passage is that the people who are found outside when the door closes think that they should be inside. They think that they shouldn't be there. They're shocked to find themselves outside with no way in and no second chance. In fact, to the original Jewish listeners, Jesus gives them this picture of them like peeking in through the window and they see through the window in the party the heroes of their faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, they're inside. But somehow, I'm out here? The problem is that they were deceived. They thought they knew the master and that because of what they knew about him and their shallow affiliation with him, that he would let them in. And they find themselves to be horribly, eternally deceived. Friends, don't mistake shallow affiliation with Jesus for salvation. Don't mistake having GPS coordinates to get you to the location of the door as the same thing as having stepped through the door. Don't be deceived into thinking you've trusted Jesus, that you've entered through the narrow door when in reality, you're still outside. Jesus makes it clear from his story, many who have wanted heaven 
in the end won't have it. Because they've delayed and they've been deceived. They're left outside when the door closes. There are two destinations, one of which each of us will spend eternity with no second chances after our lives have come to a close. So remember, the door is closing. So don't delay and don't be deceived. Next, we'll see that many unexpected people will have been found to have entered through the narrow door. Jesus continues in verses 29 and 30. Look at it with me. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So the third and final point we see in our passage is four directions. Four directions. Jesus ends our passage with surprising words. Many who you think you'll see in the kingdom of God on the last day won't be there. But people who you'd never expect, people you've never even heard of, never even considered, people from all four directions, north, south, east, and west, will be invited and will step in through the door. It is Jesus' heart that all would come, would enter through the narrow door. Jesus' arms are open wide. He's inviting anyone and everyone to come to him. In our passage, he says that people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the, in the table at the kingdom of God. The free gift of Jesus will be embraced by people from all all over, from every nation and tribe and tongue. The good news of salvation through Jesus alone was not intended only for Jesus' original audience, these small Jewish villages. And it's not intended only for us here in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's intended to be preached to all nations of the earth, to the farthest reaches of the globe, to those from the north, south, east, and west. And Jesus promises that some people from all tribes, all tongues, all languages of the earth will come to him to find forgiveness and worship him. Friends, right now there are over 3 billion people on planet earth with no access to the good news of Jesus. Over 3 billion people who unless someone brings the good news to them, will live, will be born, live, and die without ever hearing the good news that Jesus died for their sins. So friends, don't delay and don't be deceived. These people have no hope apart from Jesus. They have no chance for eternal life unless they hear about the good news which means that we have the massive privilege and responsibility to go, to reach them with the good news that Jesus saves. Let's be a church family that not only enjoys God's grace, let's be a church family that extends his glory to the farthest reaches of the planet. Let's tell the world, every nation and people group on earth, especially those who have never heard and we'll have no chance of hearing unless we go and tell them. 
Let's tell them Jesus is the narrow door. Let's tell them that he offers them eternal life as a free gift. So friends, in conclusion, remember, the door is closing. So don't delay and don't be deceived. There's only one door, one way to be made right with God. We can't delay. We can't afford to live one foot in and one foot out. We can't be deceived. Every single person on this planet, including you or me, once our lives come to an end, will spend eternity in either heaven or hell with no second chance after our lives draw to a close. And so we've been given the massive privilege and responsibility to take the good news of Jesus to the people in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, in our friend groups, and to the ends of the earth. To point them the way to the door, to point them to Jesus, and to bring as many people as possible with us as we enter through the narrow door. So friends, remember, the door is closing. Don't delay and don't be deceived. Let's pray together.